Unlocking Your World of Creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Mark introduces you to some of the world's leading creative talent from publishing, film, music, restaurants, medical research, and more. You'll discover how to tap into your most original thinking, how to organize your ideas, and most of all, how to make the connections and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity. Welcome back, everyone, to Unlocking Your World of Creativity, the podcast where we talk to creative professionals all around the world. And it's my pleasure today to be stamping our creative passport in Colorado Springs, Colorado, talking with my guest, Bob Berry. Bob, welcome to the program. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. And the airport in Colorado Springs is so easy to get in and out of. I love that airport. Yeah, it's pretty small compared to most of them that you might encounter. Yeah. So we're not going to O'Hare. We're not going to Heathrow. It's going to be a nice, simple line at yeah. Colorado Springs. Yeah. You could choose from one of about 10 gates. That's right. And the idea of the travel experience these days, Bob, kind of leads us to what we want to talk about today. And that's experiences and customer experience, particularly online experiences. Listeners, Bob is a principal at Answer Lab. This is a company that guides brands like Google and Amazon, Facebook, and many more that you've heard of that really want to create new and optimal online experiences. And boy, Bob, this is ever so important these days, isn't it? Absolutely, it is, yes. Especially in these days with uh, dealing with almost two years now of the COVID pandemic, figuring out how to go contactless, figuring out how to work remote. And so much of our lives have become virtual and digital that this is more important than ever. So Bob, we want to talk about the process of really designing and optimizing these experiences, but maybe we just start with a little definition of terms. You know, we can all nod and say, oh yeah, I know what you mean, online experiences, because we've all been online and we know a good and a bad, but what, really what are the parameters and definitions that you would say make up an online experience? Uh, you know, I actually define it pretty broadly. What we're learning is that experience has an impact on a lot more than what you might think of with the traditional user experience or usability or ease of use or user interface. The philosophy that I've adopted is that all business outcomes, all business transactions are individual people making a decision or a choice of some kind within some kind of experience that we provide them. And then that applies as much to online as offline. Of course, in these days of COVID, a lot of that is now shifting more and more to online, but we, uh, we tend to think of experience pretty broadly. There's a lot of different types of experiences that we evaluate and that we uh, assess and that we consult on. So uh, it's really whatever you're encountering in your environment, in your interface with the world, in your interface with technology, as you're trying to navigate through your day or run your business or whatever it is you're trying to do. It's a pretty broad definition. And you've been, uh, your expertise dates back to when we called it things like e-commerce and e-learning. But I think back to many people said, can we replicate sort of the live personal experience online? But have we evolved from that to say, can't we create something different and special online that maybe we couldn't even create in the personal world? Yeah, there are a lot of new technologies coming online now with virtual reality and augmented reality 
and the ability to provide learning experiences, for example. I think what COVID has proven is that it's a real mixed bag. There are some areas where we've done really well in being able to provide online experiences that are as good as or better than what we might encounter in person. And on the other end of the spectrum, there are lots of examples of things where lots of experiences that have fallen far short. So certainly with the realm of shopping and, and you know, the whole commercial side of the business, if you look at a company like Amazon or a lot of the other companies that are doing business online and a lot of the, uh, the shopping that we do today. And, and with COVID, you know, a lot of companies have gone, you know, just buying groceries and doing really basic things. I think we've really advanced our abilities there. And you could argue that in some cases that's easier than going into a store. And because of the, the wide selection and the, you know, the, the, we can do all that from the convenience of the couch. But there are some areas, for example, like distance learning or e-learning, where I think we still have a long way to go. I think the experience of a lot of parents and teachers and schools, uh, our ability to continue to motivate and engage and educate children through all of this has really fallen flat. There's a long way that we need to go to figure out how to do that. And, um, and there's fortunately a lot of investment, a lot of innovation going on there now, but it's really, it's been a mixed bag depending on which part of the economy and which type of business or which type of operation you're talking about. And Bob, as I think about your creative approach and your processes, when you would be looking at an online experience for a client, do you have a situation analysis, a gap analysis, you know, sort of a templated idea of how you come in to assess the current experience. Yeah, there are there are various approaches. Let me let me walk you through some of the major uh, methods and some ma- major tools that we use to uh, to assess this. One aspect of this is that's really critical is to really understand the user population that we're talking to. So we try to understand. We do a lot of work to develop personas and to understand the user's journey in their lives. So whatever it is we're testing. It has some context in uh, the day-to-day life of a consumer or the day-to-day life of a business person. And so understanding what that context is and what initiates an individual to pick up a device or to open a website or to launch an app or whatever it might be, understanding that larger context of who they are and what happens in their lives is really, really essential because it speaks a lot to motivation it speaks a lot to how important is this experience that they're about to start into. It talks a lot about their level of experience or knowledge. And so understanding that kind of the individual's mindset, first of all, is really, really key. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we try to, as much as possible, to build an experience of the experience. So we want to go through whatever that individual is going through with them. And as much as possible, the way I like to think of it is, Uh, We almost want to try and read their mind. We really want to understand what's going through their head as they're having this experience. We also want to understand the emotional component. So we want to kind of really get into the heart of the individual. What are they feeling? How are they reacting? How satisfying or frustrating might this be? And then again, it's all about mapping it then into their lives. And do they realize the outcomes that they're trying to have? So as much as, as researchers, as much as we can have the experience with that individual of the experience that they're having, the better we can understand where we can make improvements 
where we can better meet their needs, where we can better speak their language and really produce something that's going to be useful and helpful. And I think about the clients that you've had a chance to work with, like Google and Amazon and Facebook. I mean, these, these are the quintessential online experiences that are almost ubiquitous, right? But as I think across industries or even in Main Street businesses, what are some of the pluses and maybe pitfalls of saying, I want to do it just like they do it? You know, can't, can't we have an Amazon-like feature on our website? Well, there are pluses and minuses. These companies have been doing this a long time. And they aren't where they are today without having paid a lot of attention to this over a long period of time. We certainly can look at companies like a Google or an Amazon, and there's still a great deal we can learn from them about how to build the right kind of experience. On the other hand, we have to really put all of that into the context of the particular business or the particular kind of experience or interface that we're doing. So a small business person trying to sell you know, something handmade that has a lot of you know, artistic value or has a lot of aesthetic value to a smaller community locally or a set of, a set of very specific people online, they're looking for a very different kind of experience than what you might find when you go shopping on Amazon. So you have to be careful not to blend those. And again, it really does start with that story, that narrative of the user, the customer, the person that you're trying to serve and what's going to be important to them and what's going to really resonate for them. Mm -hmm. it, it's also important to remember, too, that companies like Google and Amazon have armies of researchers and developers who do this. And it's just a, not going to be reasonable for most other companies to make that kind of investment. So you have to scale this in a way that makes sense and where, you know, it, it's really going to, going to fit the business need and fit the budget for what you're trying to accomplish. Well, and Bob, being in this field, you have a chance to see a lot of companies and a lot of case studies. Again, who's doing it well, who's not doing it so well. What, what are some of the other uh, companies and brands that you're watching that you think are making some interesting headway? So in looking at what's happened with COVID, I think that's probably a good example of some of the major advances being done here. If you look at a lot of what you know, small businesses have been able to do to adapt to COVID by providing more you know, online ordering experiences, providing better customer service online, being able to integrate with you know, curbside delivery or, or even just delivery directly to your home, you know, the companies that have been able to, you know, especially the small businesses that have been able to adapt to that. Also, some small businesses have been able to make changes in their, in their product selection, in their supply chain. So there's a, a cafe down the street from us here in our neighborhood that was just a restaurant before COVID. And they learned how pretty quickly how to take advantage of their supply chain. And they now sell produce and specialty meats and things like that. So they've sort of morphed into a little, a little grocery store, specialty foods. Uh, I mean, you can still order meals to carry out if you want to. And of course, now that we're vaccinated, they're doing more through the summer that you could eat outside. And I think they're doing more dining in as well. But during the worst part of COVID, before the, vac before the vaccines were available, they were very good at taking what they had. You know, they had supply chains to serve their restaurant operation, but they adapted those to then provide more, just more general food services. So that was another one. Uh, looking at medicine and health too, the way doctors have adapted, the way various medical facilities have adapted to providing telehealth and being able to conduct, you know, doctor consultations and being able to do a lot more of this remotely. 
that's been a very interesting one as well to see how they do that. A lot of companies, as we know, have gone to working entirely remotely. And so a lot of the tools, companies of all sizes, a lot of the tools that companies have adapted, you know, here we are on Zoom and, you know, the incidence of Zoom and WebEx and Google Meet and Microsoft Teams and all these tools have just exploded. It's, it's kind of surprising how used to this we've gotten and how much companies are gonna to continue to stay with this model. You know, some companies are gonna go back to in office, but a lot of companies are gonna to continue to work remotely because they finally, they were forced to prove that it actually worked and people could be productive. So I think those are just some examples. The yeah, way I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought this up, this kind of internal piece now, the intra-company. Uh, you know, we all got used to online experiences, like you said, and now that we're going to use this for training, for learning, for interviewing and hiring. What do companies internally need to think about their own online experiences to make sure this works for them? So there are a few key aspects. So when we, uh, Answer Lab before COVID, we were about, about a third of us were already working remotely. Uh, and the kind of research that we do actually lends itself pretty well to Zoom and related kinds of platforms. Uh, because there's a lot of interviewing involved, there's a lot of sharing of screens and, you know, and jointly going through various interfaces and trying things. So it, it, it lends itself well. But there was a lot we had to do to for the two thirds of the company that was not remote. There's a lot of things we had to do. So obviously providing people the right technology, everybody's going to need, you know, the, uh, an efficient internet connection. They're going to need the right kind of just basic computer and they're going to need, they're going to need a workspace. So you have to kind of deal with the basics of just equipping people to do the work that they need to do. We also need to pay a lot of attention to security and privacy. So we wanna make sure there's a lot more information now that's being shared. And depending on who we're working with and who our clients are, what kind of companies we're working with, we need to make sure we put the right levels of security in place to make sure we're doing the right thing there. And we're not, we're not putting our personal information or our clients' information at risk. We probably need to do some training. We probably need to help people really understand how to be comfortable with these tools, depending on how much they've used them. You know, there's a certain amount of, um, of cultural things that we've done as well. You know, where we, we throw parties online, where we share a lot of personal stories, where we have Slack channels that are there just to talk about our kids or our dogs or, you know, so there's almost a kind of like a rebuilding of culture that we need to do to make sure people still feel supported and still feel connected and still feel part of a team, part of an organization. And, um, and a lot of that can be fun. It, you know, if, you, if it's done well, it, people can really feel like they still have those connections. So those are, just, those are just some of the things. There's probably a lot more than that, but those are just some of the things to be, be considered of. Yeah, well, and you're bringing up these cultural shifts. I think about, we called them Gen Z, but all of a sudden it's Gen Zoom that have grown up with online experiences. There, there is no such thing as the word online in front of the word experience for this generation coming up. What do you see coming ahead that really redefines the experiences that we're all going to have if they are digital first, online first? So one of the things that we're paying a lot of attention to is the rapid emergence of artificial intelligence and machine learning. And that enables a number of things. You know, there are some leading thinkers and influencers who believe that AI, I mean, it's, it's been called the last invention. It's the last thing the human race will ever invent because 
there's fear that it's going to it's going to dominate. <laughs> After that, the robots will invent everything. Right. Is that yes. what you're saying? Yes. I'm not sure. I I'm not sure I'd go that far, but um, so th these are, and we're starting to see this now. If you simply look at what happens on our smartphones, our smartphones are beginning to anticipate who we are. They're more and more capable. Uh, these apps are more and more capable of learning what our preferences are and anticipating these. In some cases, this occurs without us even noticing it. It's become such, it's become so natural. A lot more of the content that you're going to begin to see online is going to be machine generated. So we're, for example, blog posts and articles and things like that. We're seeing that artificial intelligence can now compose various art forms. So artificial intelligence can write poetry, it can compose music. Now we're getting into a realm here where some people probably are not very comfortable with some of these things that are happening. And rightly so, because we're starting to see things like deep fakes. You know, there was a, um, there was a news story, uh, I think it was late last week, where I, th I think it was in the Middle East, where somebody had used artificial intelligence, machine learning to simulate the voice of a bank president. And there was a number of other things they did around that to kind of stage this whole thing. But they were able to scam a bank out of millions of dollars by simulating this bank president's voice to authorize the transfer of all these funds. Now, whether they'll ever get the money back or not, I don't know. But it was just, it, 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 and this is just the beginning of this. And so the ability for machines and algorithms to simulate what it is that we look like, how we sound, uh, all of that is it's going to become more and more of a risk and something where, you know, we're going to have to pay a lot more attention to. My personal belief is that the kind of research that we do could actually be one solution to that because we go directly to the individuals who are using these systems. So we, there's a level of authenticity that we bring to the user experience research that we do that it really can't be simulated. And so that's one of the benefits, I think, of actually sitting down with real users, real customers, real people, understanding their lives, experiencing what they do as they do it, that's, um, that's a lot more authentic than a lot of the things we might encounter in the online world these days. Well, I'm glad you brought this uh, up because you've also founded a very interesting uh, academy. You've labeled it the Human Computer Mastermind Academy. How do you stir all these issues together in that forum. So the, the online, the Mastermind Academy is intended to introduce people to a lot of these concepts and principles. Going back to my earlier statement about all outcomes in business occur within the context of some experience that, that a user or a customer is having. A lot of people aren't aware of the importance of that. The other thing that's very challenging is that all of those outcomes are really hidden. So what people might be doing with your app or your website or your software. In many cases, unless you go and put in place a rigor rigorous process to really reveal what's happening, then most of what is happening now in your business or in your operation is invisible to you. And again, a lot of, a lot of professionals, small businesses, medium-sized businesses um, don't understand the dynamics and the importance of making all of that visible so they can understand it and so they can act on it and so they can improve it and do it better. So the purpose of the online academy is to introduce a lot of people to those principles, those practices, 
help them learn how to incorporate this into whatever software or app or website development that they're doing. And it, again, it can, include, it can include offline experience as well. So it's really to, to educate and inform and equip people to, um, to incorporate this into their businesses. Uh, terrific. Well, Bob, I'm, I'm interested as you've been talking about this research and observational techniques of really experiencing the experience. How do you find the balance between sort of listening to these customers and users and then translating using, certainly there's a curiosity of why did they do that? And why did they say that? And why are they giving us that feedback? And then your own interpretations of that. Honestly, it takes a lot of practice. One of the things that I learned very early in my career is a, a simple process of suspending disbelief. And a lot of what we do as researchers is the willingness to suspend disbelief. And that means setting aside your prejudices, setting aside your political views, you know, whichever side of the political spectrum you happen to live on, you just have to be willing to, there's a lot we can do to ask the right questions, listen and understand. We don't have to agree. We don't have to adopt a new philosophy, but simply the process of listening and understanding and appreciating goes a long way. So I, I, I did a, a very in-depth study about a year ago, starting about a year ago, before the election. I was, we were doing work for a client to help them put in place a lot of resources to help individuals with the upcoming election. And so there was, this was a lot of learning. It was a lot of uh, locating local resources, understanding what the different voting options were in a particular locale. You know, could I vote online? Did I, could, I, could I vote early? Could I only go to the polls? All these, where do I register to vote, et cetera? So we intentionally, I don't know, we probably ended up interviewing 100 people across the country. And we intentionally talked to a wide spectrum of ages, ethnicities, and people across the political spectrum. And of course, this was still very much in the thick of COVID. And so, you know, obviously I have my own political beliefs. I have my own feelings about the, 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 the virus and how it happened and what's going on with it, et cetera. And so we did in-depth interviews with a lot of people who had very strong opinions about all of this. And honestly, it was fascinating. So part of it is also a willingness to to kind of immerse myself in that fascination. I, I, I can develop some objective detachment from it and talk to all of these people, ask them all these questions, suspend my disbelief and my prejudices and really listen and understand. And it, it really went a long way for me to really understand what all the different views were across the political spectrum and really have a greater appreciation for them. And I think that, honestly, I think that this country could benefit from a lot more of that. I think we would be better off if a lot of us learned how to do that suspending of disbelief and listening more. Mm -hmm. And not bring our bias to the table. Uh, you know, at, it's- At least I, that's when we're in the listening mode. Yes, I think it's okay to, I, I think it's very hard to, to just set that bias, you know, just forget about it entirely, but the willingness to just suspend it momentarily to give somebody the benefit of the doubt and let, just let them, you know, if we really listen at core, we really all want the same things. We, we all want to feel like we have a future. We all want to feel safe. We all want the best things for our children. We all want to feel like financially we're secure. You know, all of those things are this. If we peel back all of the politics, a lot of those things, we, we do have a lot of common ground. 
And if we're willing to put some of those other biases aside, I think we're a lot more likely to get to that common ground. And, I, and through the research that I do, fortunately, I, have a, I get a lot of practice in doing that and asking those questions and listening to these people. And it's, uh, it's actually, um, it's, it's, it's very gratifying to know that, that those possibilities exist. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's a practice we could all probably uh, benefit from exercising more. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Bob, what's uh, priming your creative pump these days? Is there anything that you're reading, watching, following that is stimulating your creative thought? Well, you know, honestly, the, the, the research is, um, among other things, the research is, is a primary source for me because you know, it's so easy to get locked up in my own head and my own ideas and you know, my own preconceived notions about things. And going out in the world and talking to people and asking a lot of these questions and listening, I get exposed to a lot of new perspectives. You know, I'm all about experience. And the more new experiences I can expose myself to, then that really helps my creativity a lot. Um, I also, living in Colorado, I do, I get outside a lot. We live not far from the Rocky Mountain wilderness. So I find the great outdoors is, uh, is a very excellent source for me. I also do a lot of writing and journaling. I love to journal. And so that's also a great uh, inspirational source for me as well. Uh, that's terrific. Love to hear that you're taking in the fresh air of the Rocky Mountains. The weather's been spectacular, so I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Well, listeners, my guest has been Bob Barry, principal of Answer Lab. Bob, I want to make sure that uh, we know how to find you, follow you, and learn more about your work. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm you know, Bob Barry at Answer Lab. Also, uh, my website is itstheusers.com. And if you go to it's the users.com slash research, then we have a pretty extensive library of materials, learning courses on a lot of these topics. If you want to get started or if you've already started and you want to learn some more advanced topics. Also, I am initiating a new research project to learn more about a lot of the things we've just been talking about. How are people dealing with COVID? How are they dealing with a lot of the political upheaval in this country? Um, how are they dealing with a lot of the new technologies coming along and new innovations that are happening? And so we'd love to have you participate in that research. So if people want to go to itstheusers.com slash research, they can reach out to me. And I'd love to interview. I'd love to hear how you're dealing with this. We're trying to develop some best practices and really learn how to share this with a lot of other people. Well, that's fantastic. Well, listeners, I'll have that link in the show notes. Uh, definitely connect with Bob. And look, we've got a wide range of creative people that listen to this podcast. So I know that we could contribute to Bob's research and uh, help him learn more about where we are these days. And I know that uh, he would appreciate that. Well, thanks, Bob, for sharing all these experiences and your expertise. Appreciate it, Mark. Thank you. All the best to you and all your listeners as well. Thanks so much. And listeners, do come back for our next episode. We're going to continue our around the world journey to talk about how to get inspired for new thinking, how to organize your ideas, and of course, how to gain the confidence and the connections to launch your work out into the world. I'm Mark Stenson, and we're unlocking your world of creativity. We'll see you soon. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and ThePeaceRoom.Love. We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of $5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only 99 cents. 
Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer. Our podcast is supported by Adobe and the Adobe Creative Cloud, the world's best creative app and services, so you can make almost anything you can imagine wherever you're inspired. We use Adobe to help make this podcast using Audition, Premiere Rush, InDesign, and more. So join the creative community with the Adobe Creative Cloud, and let's make something better, unlocking your world of creativity.